The deals are getting hotter during the dear days of summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August 2nd, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeeredealer.com. Blog Talk Radio. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I'm your host, Ryan. Our website is OuterLimitsRadio.com. Tonight, we have a very special guest, Ms. Tamara Doris, who is a teacher, an author, a speaker. She's got a lot of uh, good, charismatic energy, and she's going to work on us and teach us how to manifest physical reality even quicker, how to utilize our days more, and how do we can attain more of our goals and dreams in a very quicker fashion. So I'm really excited about this interview, and without further ado, here's our interview with Ms. Tamara Doris. We have a very special guest today. Her name is Miss Tamara Doris. She has written 13 books, a lot of them having to do with spirituality and personal development. She's a professor. She hosts her own radio show. She manifests a lot, and she's doing a lot to teach people and to help people evolve and reach their full potential. Without further ado, please welcome to the show Miss Tamara Doris. Welcome to the show, Tamara. Thank you for being here. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Welcome. All right, you've done so many things, so let's start out with the first part, is that you have a new book coming out. Can you please tell us what this new book is about and who your uh, secret guide is? <laughs> Absolutely. The new book is called The Law of Distraction and Art of Intention. Okay. And it's about, it's so funny because, you know, I normally have no difficulty at all explaining my books, but this one is just different. Um, because it's a combination. It's not fiction. In fact, it's classified as, as spiritual self-help. Um, it's, it's a humorous look at, at intentions, and it was channeled to me from a higher, my higher self is what I will call it. Um, and, it and it just took the form of a smart-ass angel by the name of Morty, and we just had conversations after yoga in my head, and that was honestly the, the first stab at it. I just got it all in writing, and there you have it. Yeah, I, I read the book. Uh, that was a really great read. And, yeah, Morty. Morty is her higher self, or he's the manifestation of your higher self. What would you say he was? Was he, uh, the way you described him in the book, was he somebody who was, you think, somebody who recently crossed over, or somebody who's just been around for a little while? Like, how would you describe Do you think he was your higher self, or was he kind of like an intermediary between you and your higher self? You know, probably, in fact, I asked, I asked my, I had a psychic reading not too long ago um, with one of your fabulous psychics. Yeah. 
And I asked her, I said, is, I think it's my higher self. And she agreed that it was my, that I was communicating with my higher self. So I think, I think that I'll, I'll just call Morty my higher self. Okay. Now, when you experienced this, I mean, when you were growing up, did you have any natural psychic ability? Were you visually seeing things? How did this come about that you were actually suddenly able to communicate with this uh, being known as Morty? Um, I think, honestly, Ryan, that I just was always em- empathic, and I always spent a lot of time alone. I, I mean, I grew up, when I was a kid, I grew up with Edward Casey in the bookshelf. So I've just always had a very strong urge and desire um, and it, to be honest with you, it kind of, this book started as kind of a joke. Like I was going to kind of make fun of, of people who say they channel. And I mean, my fingers would hit that keyboard and it would just pour out of me and I would read it or I would send it to my daughter and she would go, mom, you're kind of scaring me. Where is this coming from? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're channeling this and it is coming from your higher self. Now, what do you, what do you think when you were writing the book? What do you think the intention was ultimately? Like, what do you feel? your book ultimately is, is here to do? Well, I'm hoping, and I, I feel that the intention behind the book of intentions is helping people understand that there's so much more, um, so much more outside of ourselves and within ourselves that we're not focusing on. And, and my goal ultimately, like many people who discuss the spiritual realm, is to try to get people to think outside of, of the materialistic world and to think, you know, spend some time with that 99.9% of infinite everything that... Now, let's go through a couple parts of the book. You mentioned one chapter, the more control you have over your thoughts, the better you will be at manifesting into physical reality. Can you please explain the premise of this and how the average person can incorporate this? Absolutely. You know, the thing is, Ryan... The reason I think that we're not better at being more instantaneous in our manifestations is because we're so consumed with everything that's outside of ourselves that we are experiencing with our five senses. And it's only when we can calm our thoughts down and go within that we can access that other 99%. And that other 99% is where the quantum field is. And that's where everything resides. And when we manifest, all we're really doing is putting an intention into the quantum field. But the quantum field has to be able to reach us. And when we're busy with our thinking and our self-doubts and our judging, um, we, we're, we, have, we get a busy thing. So wait, what is this quantum field? Quantum field is what? This is like this, the, the, the flow of all things? Yeah, you, you know, you can call it that. I take originally, and that was my intention originally with this book, it didn't turn out that way, but originally um, from a scientific perspective, when we look at anything in quantum physics, it tells us that the, at the subatomic level, it's just quantum. It's just energy of particles and waves going back and forth. And that's actually what 99.9 with 13 zeros after it is what our universe is surprised of. And we're so busy with that 0.01% that what we can see, taste, feel here, that we don't tune into that quantum field. And, and I believe that that's where everything happens. Well, everything happens in the quantum field. Then, hypothetically speaking, are you saying, well, somebody's not tapped into it? Well, what if they are, quite frankly, tapped into it? Because, well, if a person is um, trucking along in life and they're not really making any progress, then aren't they tapping into the quantum field to be able to manifest mediocrity, being able to manifest failure? They have to be drawing to them or drawing to an energy that is allowing them to remain in the state that they're in. Is that not the antithesis of what success is? And wouldn't success and failure be drawing from the same quantum field? Absolutely, absolutely. So when we have mediocre, mediocrity or when we have things that we don't like, we're not 
intentionally. We're not tapping into it with intention. We have to be tapping into it because we're alive. As long as we're alive and we're breathing human beings, we have to have prana. We have to have chi. So we absolutely have a connection. But I feel what happens is that we're not, we, we like squeeze the hose. We squeeze that energy flow to us when it could be bringing us the things that we really desire. We kind of, we put a crimp in the hose and we're not allowing it to fully flow to us. Okay, so basically how does someone cut this? So what you're describing is this, uh, this quantum field as basically like the source. Let's call it the source. How does a person cut themselves off from it? How do, how do they, is it because what, they're looking at computer games, because they're worried about the bills, because they're worried about, you know, having an argument about somebody about the color of the lawn, or how many flowers they have. Like, how are they cutting themselves off from this life source? Well, my opinion is that whenever we start to think of ourselves as separate from everything else, we begin to cut ourselves off. I mean, I believe, and uh, gosh, you know, this has been going on with spiritual masters for years that I've studied we're all one and so we're all that quantum field is part of us as well and so we're all one but the minute that our egos get in the way and we start judging people and we start you know hating and and arguing and all of these manifestations that we create that are negative we take away that's how we put the crimp in the hose we're we're pushing it away i i feel you know i hate to sound like jesus or something but i feel that love is ultimately what we're all here for, love and service, and that most of us are so wrapped up in our egos and our own fears that we're not spending time doing that. Okay. When you say that we're all one, I'm just kind of curious that when you see that collective humanity, what is all one for this moment in time, because it seems to me, that it seems from what we're talking about, the uh, our other shows that we've done, is that a soul's evolution could happen over the series of lifetimes, could happen throughout a series of various dimensions. So is collective humanity from all generations, from all periods of time, one together at the same time in this physical life incarnation. And I ask that because you may have people that come and go that may pass through the physical plane that may no longer be part of the oneness. And if that's the case, why do we have to feel completely connected with spirits or entities or beings that we necessarily may have completely at odds in agreement with? There may be beings out there that are very dark, very sinister, that maybe we are feeling temporary oneness with them because they're on the earth right now, but do we necessarily have to embrace the idea of being total one with all part of goals of matter? Wow, Rai Rai, that's a really heavy-duty question there. That, that even might be, be over my head. I, my answer to that, my first gut instinct answer is yes. That it, is, it is very, very difficult to understand how we can be connected to someone like, say, I, in the book, you remember I use Adolf Hitler. So I, I understand that that could be an issue that's way over my head, way over my, my realm of expertise. I don't understand how any of it works with the spirits and fifth dimensions. I, I just read about it. I, I'm not an expert at that. My premise is that on an energetic scientific level, if we put, if we put my hand or my cat or my kitchen table under a microscope, it is the exact same form of energy, quantum field, quantum packets, that is made up of you and me and everything else. I mean that we're all one in that respect. We're all, we're all sums of the greater part. Okay, so we, have, we are all have um, a number of, so we're, I guess we're all connected on the quantum field. Okay, so then we're all, quite frankly, energy. So what is the quickest way to influence that energy field? In my opinion and experience, the quickest way is, is through pure love. You know, just we, when we're in that state of joy and appreciation, 
and we raise our vibrations, I feel that we have a better connection, a better connectivity to that flow because I, I, you know, I just feel like it's more, we're more able to manipulate matter. And that's really what it is. If we're looking at it from a quantum physics perspective, what's really happening is that we're taking the, the field of potentiality or the quantum field and we're projecting an image that we want and we're drawing it into our lives and that we operate best with that field through our high vibrations. Okay, so let's say this way. There are people who are of are higher vibration. You would call them people, I guess, who higher vibration. Is that necessarily entail somebody who has love or is that just somebody who has a lot of concentration towards what they want to manifest? Because there are people who are good, quote, quote, unquote, good. There are people, quote, unquote, evil that can manifest. People can manifest yep. lots of life. People can manifest lots of death. So what quantify, what do you feel is high vibration? I feel that a high vibration is based of pure love and appreciation. However, you're absolutely right. And if you recall, again, that's one thing that I said in the book about Adolf Hitler. He was a kick-ass manifester because look what he did. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have high positive vibrations. What it does require is concentration and intention. And, and I just prefer to teach it from, a, obviously, for, for, for clear, obvious reasons, I prefer to teach it from a perspective of, love and appreciation and joy because I, I'm, you know, I think be, being more spiritually evolved is much better than like trying to, you know, ruin, ruin a third world country. Right. Now, speaking of that, um, I want to ask you, you said that everything happens, you said in your book, everything happens now is a result of a decision that you've made in the past. Can you please explain that or elaborate on that? That was part of the chapters. Okay. So everything happens now. Well, because I think that everything that we thought ends up catching up with this. I mean, some people call it, I've read some some spiritual masters have called it karma, but I honestly think that what we're thinking now just catches up with us. And that's honestly the reason I think that we don't experience um, instant manifestation, because we would just implode as a planet. If, if every time I thought, oh my gosh, I hate her, you know, and something happened to her, or oh my gosh, I want a car, and, and I just got it. I mean, that I think that that would just not work in our universe at this point, because we don't have clear enough thoughts, and we don't have pure enough thoughts. Okay. So um, you think that like you're talking about sometimes that there um, you mentioned a really interesting part about your book saying that there are pieces they're called mass consciousness of people and they pull towards them a natural disaster like a tsunami or like a natural event that's catastrophic. How does that work? How does that work where you have a number of people that are all suddenly together at the same time to experience one event? Like you know, and that's a, that I had that question too. If you recall reading in the book, I was kind of a little confused on that myself. But I think that the answer that came to me, and that's what I put in the book, is the idea that you don't have to be attracting something. And you know, that's one thing that I always worry about. And honestly, this is one of the reasons that I let the book be humorous, because people can get mad about that. People can say, "Well, wait a minute, I didn't meet. You know, my husband didn't attract a car accident." Or, or I didn't attract this disease. And so I try to tread really lightly on that because I'm not, I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know everything. I just feel that when something happens big like that, there's an attraction at play. And I believe that it has to do with the vibrations of a large enough group of people that can, it can be a catalyst for change. Just like, you know, the, the doctor, the Japanese doctor who does the, did the water experiment. Yep. What is the um, – how do you basically avoid that? How do you avoid being a part of a collective group of people that will pull an experience like that? Like what can you do 
to keep your vibrational frequency at a point where you kind of, I don't know, draw and gravitate peace and love to you? Well, you know, one thing I would say about that, and it's a very good example, is the World Trade Center. People who were not in vibrational alignment, who, you know, who had, had other purposes for whatever reason, um, didn't show up that day. I mean, it was a phenomenally low attendance day. Um, consider, you know, compared to normal. So I think that, that it just, it's all energetic. And if people were not meant to be there, then they just weren't there. And that's not to imply, I don't want people to come back at me and say, oh my God, you meant that my husband should have got killed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that everything happens. I believe everything happens for a reason. And I believe that that reason has to do with our energy vibration. Okay. You know, I was curious about the, we were also talking about the book saying that sometimes events like these happen we have these disasters and we have these things, and it's for the greater good of collective humanity. And I'm curious, what is on, uh, what is the consciously explainable level as to how that benefits humanity? What does humanity collectively learn from these experiences? Because especially when you see things like shootings happen or you see things like teachers taking advantage of students, it's something that has, was shocking at first, yet it occurs on a regular basis. It seems to be getting worse and worse, and maybe it's forcing humanity to look at something about itself. Yet I, I'm finding it hard to grasp how does those things happen meant to benefit humanity. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Okay. All right. Um, you said something really interesting in your book. I love this part. It's saying that people end up in the wrong careers because they haven't aligned their values to their work. Can you please explain mm -hmm. that and talk about that? And Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I believe that we're all born with having certain talents or, or gifts, if you will, or having some kind of a, of a greater purpose, and that a lot of times when we're, we're finding ourselves, especially midlife, we find ourselves in jobs that we just don't like, and if we discover and we understand how our value system works and the things that are really important to us, and we seek employment or hobbies or something that can bring those values into our life, um, we just, we, we raise our vibrations, we feel more happy, um, and a lot of times people can take their current work and recognize what their values are and then find a way to incorporate things in. So, you know, you don't have to go quit your day job. You can just work to find alignment with what you're already doing, oftentimes. Okay, and I, if you look at some of the people, the people who, like, work in government, they, um, I think a lot of those people, they, they, they love to... You know, to have other people work. They love to be freeloaders and not work and have someone else pay for their stuff. So is there a possibility you think that many of those individuals could be more in alignment to what their careers are based on their values than, let's say, for example, most other people are who are struggling or dealing with conflicts or are struggling to find steady employment? I do. I do. I think I'm not saying that everyone can be helped. In fact, I believe that certain people come around through their incarnations over and over again and they have more more drive, whereas some people who are just new souls are just fumbling around. And then let's just face it, Ryan, some people are just lazy. And I <laughs> don't know what to say about them. But as far as, as, far as the ones who I think that everyone will respond um, if they, they, there's just a spark, and sometimes it's hard to find in people, but if you ask them, what was it that you once dreamed of doing and why? And they can really, you know, start to get in tune with whatever it was that used to turn them on. They'll realize they've just got lots of crusted layers, you know, that have just built up over the years and that they've forgotten how to feel. They've forgotten how to be passionate. Okay. And I want to bring to the listeners' attention that Tamara manifests 
she has done a lot of things. She, which if she's not teaching, she's doing a radio show. If she's not doing a radio show. She's writing another book. If she's not doing a book, she's working in real estate. Uh, Tamara, how does an average person or a typical person, no matter where you are at any point in time, manifest more? How do you manifest and do more with your life with only a limited time period? Well, I believe that it starts with, you know, going back to the original thing, Ryan, we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, which is spending that time in the quantum field. And so not a day passes, you know, unless for some reason I'm sick or I just overslept or something, not a day passes, seven days a week, that I don't get up and put my headphones on and meditate for a minimum of 20 minutes. And after I meditate, I spend a solid 10 minutes at least um, visualizing and really feeling what I want to create in my life. And, and I, I attribute 95% of success to that. Well, okay, so let's explain to the listeners what kind of tracks would you listen to and would you feel comfortable if we posted the tracks on our website that you listen to? Okay, okay, so good question. I started studying probably about 15 or 18 years ago when I was studying neuro, um, neuroscience, and I started understanding neuroplasticity and, and, you know, became a certified hypnotherapist and became fascinated with the subconscious brain because I had some of my own issues that I needed to work on. Um, and so I became fascinated with that, Ryan, and I discovered that there was these things called binaural beat waves. It's also brain entrainment or, you know, something, something like that. But basically what it does is it synchronizes the left and the right brain. And the reason that's so important is because when they've tested deeply meditating monks, they discovered that that's what's happening. They're, they're having brain entrainment and their brains are synchronized. Well, we here in the United States are so flipping hyper all the time and so distracted and ADD that we don't ever take the time to slow our brain waves until we automatically assume that we don't know how to meditate. Hence the title of the book, The Law of Distraction. We're too distracted to manifest effectively. And so I found that these waves, and, and for your listeners, you can just do a YouTube search and go on and just type in the search box, binarial beat waves or brain entrainment meditation. And honestly, there's a lot of quality ones you can listen to with headphones on for free. And they go, some of them go up to an hour. Yep. So try and, yeah, and find something that you like. And, and you just do that, and it, it causes your brain to relax. You reach that meditative state and the brainwave state a lot sooner. And, and you just, with practice, you can do that every day. And in that state you begin manifesting. In that state, you, you think about your intention. Okay, and uh, we are going to devote an entire show in the future talking about brainwaves because I believe that they are very interesting and they are the key to opening up, unlocking a lot of aspects of what we're doing. But I do want to raise the flag of caution, Tamara, is that sometimes somebody could listen to a track and it may be labeled a beat, but it also could potentially unlock other things. You may be seeing visualizations of things maybe you weren't expecting or readying or expecting ready for so I would love to have your direct recommendations in terms of the beats that have worked best for you now hypothetically speaking you wake up in the morning you listen to these tracks your brain is going left and right and you're meditating so by doing that what does that do it puts your your spirit in alignment with this quantum field so now it's like what doing a workout for your soul for your brain and after that you're able to what manifest things into physical reality with much greater ease 
know, and, and I love that sounded very poetic, what you said, but taking the scientific approach, which I tend to do, what happens when I'm in that state is I'm actually, I'm, I'm zeroing out all of the external. And that's when I think that we can communicate with the quantum field. So when I'm in that state, because I have my brain slowed down and I'm in a meditative state, I'm able to not pay attention to what I'm worried about. I'm not those busy thoughts aren't going across my brain. So that's when I feel when I don't have any external influence, that's when I feel that I can, yeah, I can relate to the quantum field. And I think one of the most important things in my research and my experience is that you have to feel as if you already have what it is. Neville Goddard talked about this. You have to actually feel that you've already gotten it. And I think that's the big problem with movies like, you know, I won't mention movies, but with, with different people who teach manifesting, I think the big problem is they don't emphasize enough that we have to be what we want to manifest. That, that to me, has been the most effective. Oh, I mean, I, I think it's a perfect okay to go after movies. I mean, think about some of the movies that are out there. Especially the ones where they have romantic stories. I'll tell you this. Uh, it wasn't too long ago where I was, I was like hung up on romantic movies, and you know, because they think that every time you have to fall in love with someone, it's got to be this big, dramatic thing and pull and pull. I mean, if you if you meet someone you love, you know, boom, you love them, right? But it's like according to Hollywood, it's got to be some like dramatic, crazy, insane ride, and maybe that's the way you want to draw to it. But it doesn't have to be the way that I think pulp culture depicts it. Maybe, you know, getting a job or, or doing some of the things you normally would want to go after. It doesn't have to be these extreme highs and extreme lows. It could be, what, a more direct path, maybe. Or maybe right. a direct path of, uh, I use the word again, ease. Tomorrow, when you have done your deep meditative states and you, you seem to have been really passionate about spirituality, spiritual growth, how has your spiritual evolution progressed, say, for example, over the course of the 15 years? And in the course of your deep meditative states, have you ever been able to see visualizations of other realities that can be parallel to our own? Okay, no on the second question. I've never, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but I've not, to this, at this point yet, I've not, I've not even been able to read a dang aura. I've tried though, but not, notwithstanding that, I would say that my spirituality, to me, what's happened in my life as a result, Ryan, is I'm able to not, be as reactive when things maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, heck, five years ago, might have just really gotten that trigger going in my gut. I'm able to not be as reactive. And if nothing else, if nothing else in the world was a result, resulted from meditating, that would be worth it. Because we get so pissed off all the time over little insignificant things that really in the scheme of things don't matter at all. Just being able to not react is my idea of spirituality, just being able to be with what is and not being so reactive. Good, so you're not uh, you know, giving anything to it. And I love this one part in the beginning of your book, and I'm going to bring this to the listeners' attention, that uh, according to the listeners out there, if there's someone in your life who is a big pain in the ass, if there's someone mm-hmm. in your life who's making you crazy, if there's someone in your life who absolutely is pushing you to the edge, guess what? Bing, bing, bing. Apparently, you have brought them into your life as a great teacher. You should be thankful for them. So... I really enjoyed reading that part of your book. Can you please explain what role the uh, these individuals do play in your life and why we should be thankful for them? Well, I will tell you that I think that people who bug us are our greatest teachers because there's a reason that they bug us. And whatever that reason is, is part of our purpose on this planet is is 
for us to explore and understand what is it about this person that what is it touching me? Because if you didn't have that, if I didn't have that, whatever my mother, when she drives me crazy, if, if there wasn't something in me reacting to it, then I wouldn't be experiencing it. So I'm a big, big proponent that, you know, it's all a mirror. We're projecting ourselves onto other people. And when there's something that really bugs us, it's because it's an opportunity for us to grow. It's an opportunity for us to say, what is it about this that bugs me? What do I need to grow or what do I need to, to calm down on? All right. And, you know, and I, I live by that. That's great. So you see somebody who's making you nuts. What, you, you find that the finding qualities of the person, like say, for example, you hang, you're talking with somebody and you realize that, listen, this person is a total sociopath. You have to look inside your soul and say, maybe there's a sociopath inside of me, or maybe there are things that I'm doing that I need to resolve. And then what? After you resolve that matter, the likelihood of you projecting or following on a path of that person is likely to diminish? Yeah, I mean, theoretically. And, and I honestly think that there's a little bit of sociopath in all of us. I mean, we all have our shadow side. And 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 someone, there are people out there who are walking around wearing it. Now, am I saying that people attract mass murderers and, and serial killers, you know, I'm not going that far. I'm just saying that when we have on our daily basis, when we come across people that really chop our hide, that there's a reason there's something that we need to stand up and take notice of. And, and you know what, Ryan, it all goes back to claiming self-responsibility. And instead of blaming this person for being that way and this person for being that way, it's all about, okay, what part of me am I projecting on them? And, and what, what is my role in this? i got to have a role somewhere. That's right. And I want to um, bring to everyone's attention that I think Ms. Doris has got a really interesting blend of various philosophies and teachings that she's followed. If you go to her website at TamaraDoris.net and you look in the About section, you're going to find that uh, you know what some of her metaphysical influences have been Edgar Casey, you have Esther Hicks, and then you also have Carl Jung, you know Tony Robbins on the physical development. So you have a number of influences, people who are very respected that are in science, that are metaphysics. And of all those individuals that you have that are on there, what three individuals have influenced you the most and why? Neville Goddard, because he, I think he's on there, because he, he um, focused on imagination. <laughs> Excuse me, and I think imagination is probably one of the most important aspects ever. Um, Albert Einstein, because of his understanding of science and quantum physics. And... My third one would probably be Edward Casey because he showed me the possibility of what can what people can really do, um, and he was just a blessed, special individual. It's really amazing. Now, if somebody out there wants to manifest and they're saying, okay, well, how do I improve more things in my life? So they go into the let's say one. We already realized that you said that they go into the quantum field, they meditate. They're in this quantum field, so now they've got that going for them. Now, in addition to the quantum field, what other things can they do to improve the manifestation? And also, does a person's physical health influence the way or the amount that they're able to manifest? Are you going to have more manifestation with a person who is physically fit than somebody who is morbidly obese? Does that have any yes. standard? Okay, why would that? I, 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 because, because you can't, you can't. If you don't feel good, then you're not going to be vibrating high. I mean, your body is your temple, and it's it's the vehicle. You're manifesting with your brain. I mean, your mind and your brain are what's reaching the quantum field. So if you're not, in my opinion, if you're not in shape, if you're not feeling healthy, that doesn't mean you have to be a size six. I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about aesthetics. 
I'm talking about feeling fit and feeling good and feeling healthy. Your brain is a very, very complicated computer um, organ, and so it's got to be operating in a healthy vessel or it's not going to work right. So, yeah, you have to be fit, absolutely. Okay. So being fit is one thing. And then what about um, attitude altogether? If you were to say, like, what are two principles that a person can take with them that would potentially change the way they live their life from this point forward? What would be those two things that would allow them to begin to manifest and to do things? I'm glad you asked me that, Ryan, because actually when it gets to to everything, if I could just really teach this message, I don't, you know, I don't profess to, to know everything, but two things I do know, and that is that we should forgive people and that we should be grateful for what we have. So appreciation um, and forgiveness are the two things that I hope as I, as I become more and more, um, you know, do more and more speaking, I hope those are the two things that I can really share for my teachings. Is, is, it's so important, so important. That's great. And now your higher self, Morty, he's a, he's a very interesting character, very interesting. I mean, if you read the book, Morty seems like he's got a very uniquely distinctive sense of humor. So he, yep. he, he How do people discover their own higher selves and how do they start communicating? And I want to ask you this because I think that you're an individual who is not naturally, uh, doesn't have natural psychic ability, or well, according to like, I guess other people out there who like, who see things on a regular basis. Um, you're somebody who, who study who focused who, who really focused on the energy and you seem to have drawn the energy to you and you were able to de- develop dialogue with your higher self how does one do that how does one make that connection and are all higher selves as cool as morty i should have hoped so i i can't answer for someone else because i don't know um i do i do believe that the source of everything whether you call it god or whatever has an incredible sense of humor and i do believe that the message came to me that even though, you know, I can teach this stuff from a scientific perspective that I was told that I need to use my humor and that that's why I was given my humor was to incorporate it and teach with it. So at first it kind of, it was like, that doesn't make sense. No one's going to do that. But then I listened to your fantastic tribute to Stuart Wilde and I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, he was so funny. And I, you know, I hadn't read his book since the 80s. So I totally forgot in it, and it just really, it, i got to tell you, that show was so great, and okay. I, I, I got teary-eyed. I got teary-eyed. Anyway, I would say that, that it was a result of deep meditation and yoga. And I think, and I'm not saying you have to do yoga, but what I am saying, Ryan, is that the combination of really managing my mind and getting rid of the distractions and going deep into meditation and then, you know, simultaneously also doing a physical practice that wore my body out and, and the two just finally merged. And, and honestly, I had most of my communication um, with Morty, although sometimes without them, but oftentimes on the yoga mat, you know, just after a yoga practice, I would just, the stuff would just come to me. Yeah, that's Well, Tamara, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being with us today. To learn more about Tamara Doris, please go to her website at tamaradoris.net. And Tamara, please tell us where we can pick up your, your new book, your new gem, and uh, how can we make this to become an upcoming bestseller book? Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. Um, you're awesome. Damn, um, I'm sorry. Beep. <laughs> I messed up on that one. I started studying on my own words. Um, so go to Amazon.com, and I just want to tell listeners also that there is an accompanying workbook. So while the Law of Distraction and Art of Intention is serious, it's delivered very comically, but 
there's a workbook that is accompanying it that takes a very spiritual um, process of uncovering and getting getting to the core of your own issues and helping you manifest um, without all the jokes. Okay, that's really wonderful. Mr. Maradoris, thank you so much. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you. Joining us now for additional information on Ms. Tamara Doris is globally respected second comedian, Ms. Laura Lynn. You can learn more about Ms. Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net. Welcome to the program, Ms. Lynn. And this is actually our second time doing this because of an electronic um, interruption. So let's please explain that and please provide some insight on Ms. Tamara Doris. Okay. It was very interesting. Just a couple minutes ago, Ryan and I were speaking and... I was talking about how really interesting and fun Tamara's interview was to listen to, and my cat jumped on my lap and was looking at me in my face, and that's kind of unusual. She's not a real cuddly kitty cat. She is more of a watcher, and all of a sudden, our electronics went kind of wonky, and we couldn't hear each other for a moment, Ryan and I, and we uh, got disconnected, and then he was then Ryan started speaking through me through the speaker I could hear him and he was saying that there's something going on here I said yes happening on my end too and I said I think there's a spirit here and when we disconnected I went to get some sage and I sat down to start burning it and an arm I felt an arm brush up against me and, and a hand go move into my my arm and I could feel the presence of a really beautiful woman and my impression is this is Tamara's grandmother and she's just so proud of her I believe it's on her mother's side that's what the impression I'm capturing and she, she just has so much pride for her granddaughter and just wanted to send love and has been wanting to share that for some time now Oh, wow. So it's really wonderful. So it's kind of, uh, I guess, this is something that wasn't expected. You know, hey, I guess that people want to reach out to her. Right. Absolutely. And they're going to find every way they can. Loved ones are, you know, present to come through in many ways. And they can use electronics or data uh, to actually bring their message through in a clear presence because they can utilize that energy to bring forward their 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 touch or, or yes so um but when you initially read uh tomorrow what, what was your impression of her and what what could we tell us tell us about some of her previous existences well i was really very pleased because one thing i noted when i was tapping in and meditating was i didn't feel a lot of trauma usually with most people that i reading for i do capture some lifetimes where there's maybe some extreme trauma that have to go through to learn. But in her existence, she has made decisions, very clear decisions, that she wants to enjoy life to its fullest potential. And at least for the last several lifetimes, it seems like she has just had a great time. And it seems that she does elevate, uh, whether it's uh, through material means or love, abundance, you know, she seems to to achieve a higher evolution each lifetime. Okay. So she's here to share and share that experience of how to achieve what it is that you want, your dreams, to bring it true to reality. 
Okay, are there any specific uh, life in lifetimes of visualizations you can sense of uh, other periods of time when she she existed? Mm-hmm. Yes, she actually was in the USA, the New England area or eastern, northern United States during her last encounter with life. And she was married, a beautiful woman, enjoyed the ocean, enjoyed her children. So what uh, time frame are you thinking about? I'm feeling like this is, oh, early early 1900s when she passed. And she enjoyed her children. She her her work was her her family. She did seem to enjoy writing poetry, um, music, muses. She she had a journal or some type of diary that she took notes in often, and just every day she seemed to have more encounters that life brought more signals or symbols. Okay, so- all right, and uh, what do you see, uh, Miss Lynn? What do you see your future life incarnation? Anything coming up in the future? She's going to, it looks like she's going to be going towards more, oh, what's a good word, universal. I I feel like her next incarnation, that she's going to be so widely known that she is going to be a really strong author, okay. writer. Yes. She so she'll basically continue the path that she's doing now. All right, Miss mm-hmm. Lynn, thank you so much. That was a great analysis. And to learn more about Miss Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Lynn. Thank you, Ryan. All right. What do the stars have in store for Mr. Maradoris? We're going to find that out right now by going to astrologer phenom, Miss Constance Stellis. Her website is constancestellis.com. Ms. Ellis, what can you tell us about Ms. Tamara? Well, first of all, thank you. I've never been a phenom before. I'm really very <laughs> pleased phenom. about that. Phenomenal. I got you. Okay. Um, Tamara Doris has a, a very concentrated chart, and her sun sign is Pisces, but her major element is air. And she has um, four planets in the sign of Aquarius, Gemini rising and a Libra moon, all air positions. So she is a natural born communicator, which she's done in her um, career because she's written so many books. And she has a way of expressing herself that is um, uh, engaging, a little bit hip, um, very humorous, and uh, has a way also of saying complicated things in a simple, effective way. That's, I don't know her books, but that's what I would imagine them to, to be. She also has great good luck in terms of publishing. So, you know, sometimes that this, uh, the, 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 the chart wants to express itself, but there's just no outlet, and that is not the case for her. Now, in the latest book where um, I heard your interview with her, that she uh, feels she's channeling her higher self, which is this conversations with Morty, uh, it's interesting because I would say that that comes from the Pisces side of her uh, chart. And um, Pisces is the last sign of the zodiac. I always think of Pisces, those two fish, as between heaven and earth. 
because one part of the, the fish is really in dreamland and the sensitivity of the Pisces is very, very acute. And um, many of her other books, I think, were more in line of, of um, let's say, air, intellect, expressing thoughts. But this book, as she said, she felt she channeled it, and I think that that's true um, uh, because of two reasons. One, the Pisces sun, and two, Neptune at the current time and for the next uh, 12 and a half years is in the sign of Pisces. So she is being very um, um, tuned up and sensitized on top of being sensitive already to, what shall we call it, the world beyond the spirit world, the intangible world. And she's always been friends with that world. Um, it's interesting, she mentioned it in her interview that she grew up with uh, Edgar Casey books are around. Edgar Casey was the first documented transmedium um, in history. What's a transmedium? Um, well, he he had, uh, first of all, he was a Pisces, and he was born in, I think, Louisville, Kentucky. And he would do what we call now channeling, but he would do it um, by going to sleep. He would go to sleep, and he would speak, um, and somebody had to take down what he would say, um, I guess in an altered state, and he helped hundreds of people with um, very deep uh, cures for physical ailments. He also channeled a lot of information about Atlantis and other worlds. He had a lot to say about astrology. And um, the reason he's kind of the grandfather of the whole shebang here is that his, uh, what he wrote and what he said was written down. So you can actually see, you know, what the hits and the misses, um, what he what he said, when it came true, when it was helpful, when it wasn't, and most of it was extremely helpful. And he has actually um, um, people now he's passed on, but people have created a society called the um, Association for Research and Enlightenment, and the headquarters are down your way in Virginia Beach. And there are chapters all across the country that study his work and make many of the suggestions that he made in this trance state available. Anyway, that's Edgar Casey, but she has a um, an affiliation with that kind of um, empathetic and um, ability to to kind of get out of the way of her mind and let whatever information is going to come through come through. Plus, she has the ability. PR-wise to promote it. And I think that there's no conflict there because um, you want this message, or she does, and, and people in general want this message to, to get out, to, to um, inform us all. So that's what she's, that's what she's doing, and she's incredibly well-suited to, to do it. Ms. Constance Dallas, there's a phenomenal analysis, uh, as you are the phenom. So, <laughs> great. To learn more about Ms. Constance Dallas, please go to her website at ConstanceDallas.com. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Dallas. Ryan. Be Thank well. You. Joining us now to provide some insight of Ms. Tamara Dawes is globally respected psychic medium, Ms. Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at CarrieO'Connor.com, and that's Carrie with a K. Carrie, what can you tell us about Ms. Tamara Doris? 
I love her energy. Tamara has this very, very balanced energy. She is what I call one of the bridgers, a forerunner bridger, where I was just saying to you before we went in the air, but I see her energy where she helps people that are typically in left brain um, kind of analytical positions and businesses and real estate, and she takes it in and she teaches people how to manifest in the world of energy, and she does it very, very simple. It's almost like she energetically spoon feeds them, but doesn't give them little tiny bites. She gets them interested. It's like she plants seeds in their energy field, and then they are able to plant those, uh, water those seeds and have them grow. So she is, she's a forerunner in, um, in the world of metaphysics right now. I love that she does a lot of diverse stuff, that she's still in the real estate, and that she's really teaching the laws of uh, attraction. They okay. And do you think that there's um by latching onto her energy that uh, she's somebody who can actually be a great teacher for people on how to manifest uh, financial abundance? Absolutely, absolutely. Because Lion, whenever I see the symbol of somebody, she's very centered in her heart. She teaches people good to go to the heart. I know I've talked about on the radio show the area in our heart chakra that's called the sacred heart area. That area literally pulls us beyond duality, beyond the programming we have. Most people, when they manifest it, they do it in very linear fashion, very present, past, future, and that also means they're connected consciously or unconsciously to the fears, to their programming of how their parents handle money, grandparents, how society handles money. And so the way she comes in is like a 45-degree angle where she teaches people to go beyond the linear way of manifesting and allows them to unplug from programming that is keeping them in a holding pattern. And so she, to me, when I see her energy, she gives these keys. It looks like codes coming out of her heart that go into the people, and they unlock them literally from holding patterns. So she's one of those people. She comes from that heart center, which I love. That's somebody that's really tapped into divine within himself, the divine within and throughout, and she, again, allows the people to be empowered, and I love anybody that's doing that right and now. She, and she has a interesting relationship with her higher self. Her higher self is actually named Morty. Uh, do you find that unusual? And also, um, yeah. what about your relationship with your higher self? Do you have, like, a, a communication, like a... Like, a, like, talk to your higher self? Yes, I do. Okay. And is it... I call my higher self. Ever since I was little, I used to see this blue lady, Ryan. And I, the blue lady taught me a lot of stuff. And as I developed and got more mature, I realized that the blue lady, because she would come in and she was a blue lady, right? I was three years old, so I said, hey, the blue lady, right? And she would come in and put in my bed and show me all these different, <clears throat> just really allowed me to see the world in a very different place. And so... My higher self is the blue lady, and as I matured, I realized that she was part of my higher self. I love that she has her higher self as Morty. I think it's perfect. It's, again, an invitation to have people think outside of the box where sometimes we think our higher self comes in with the name, you know, Shaka Waka Waka, or it has to be something that's very celestial sounding or that kind of thing. And for her to say Morty, you know, <laughs> I think it's very funny. <laughs> so, also, though, uh, people just, I mean, she elaborated on it a little bit more, but when you are actually talking to your higher self, like let's say a visualization of it, what, what would you, um, you described it in one visual way, but what essentially is your higher self? For people who are not really quite familiar with that, is that just your, your residing spirit that is in eternity, and this is one of many lifetimes that come from that energy that is residing in eternity? I see our higher self as the part of our self. And that's totally connected to the, uh, the creator within us throughout. We all hear, Ryan, that we are all one, that there is only one, that we're all aspects of the creator. And what the blue lady and Jesus showed me when I was very young was a disco ball. And they said, here is you. And then they showed me every single mirror as different aspects, different lifetimes, different future lifetimes, past lifetimes. And, and um, all our experiences is, is part of those mirrors. So we're multidimensional. 
Then they flipped it and they said, and here is God. And this is very different from the Catholicism dogma that I was receiving at the time of seeing God as that we're all interconnected. And it made just sense to me. I was very, very young that we're all one, we're all interconnected, every single mirror is a different part of us, so you're a mirror, I'm a mirror, and we are profoundly connected. And the more she has it, when we have a direct connection, a direct line to the her higher self, it's we didn't become unplugged. Or a lot of people get unplugged, and you can make a connection to realign to your divine higher self. And that's a journey that you have to go within yourself, right? You could have teachers that come in and give you pathways, that give you keys, that give you teachings of how to get there. Our higher self is our God self. It's our, our, our aspect of our the divine within and throughout is what my dad said. That we are divine and throughout, or there's the same, we're all angels having a human experience. But most people put the angel aspect very far out of the energy field. Sometimes it looks like I'm going up to the moon or a tube goes way outside of them. And humanity is at this major time where we're here to reclaim, embody, and embrace the divine energy hold the energy within our physical body, radiate it from the inside out. And when we start doing that, we start opening up a connection to our higher self. It's our higher self, it's more like higher selves, right? It's just not one aspect. But I, that's getting into a little, um, we got a long discussion about that. Let's just say that. And but for the first people that make a major step and connect to one aspect of the divine self, their higher self, and it's Morty for her, it's a blue lady for me, and that connection helps us tap into other aspects of our divine nature. Wow. Ms. Carrie O'Connor, that was a phenomenal analysis. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. O'Connor, please go to Carrie's website at carrieoconnor.com. And also, please go to the Outer Limits Radio Show website, outerlimitsradio.com. And on there, you're going to learn about a really awesome upcoming uh, seminar that Carrie will be conducting. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Joining us now is globally respected psychic medium, Miss Lisa Casa. Learn more about Miss Lisa Casa by going to her website at Lisa L I S A Casa C A Z A dot com. And Miss Lisa, what can you tell us about Mr. Maradoris? Tamara, I'm going to say, is um very different from all of the other uh guests that we have so far had on our show. And the main reason being is that well, put it this way, uh, she is someone who we actually have the privilege to, to get to know before they become bigger. This woman is just starting out. She's just warming up. Um, so we are going to watch her literally grow and grow and grow, and she's going to be growing quite quickly if, if she moves on it, um, because uh, she's very humble, very loving spirit, and she absolutely adores passing on her wisdom and her knowledge. And so, you know, she's definitely meant to be a teacher. Um, but the thing is, when it comes to Tamara, like you see, most teachers, uh, when they're talking about the law of attraction and, and so forth, when they're, tra- when they're teaching the concepts of the law of attraction, they focus, uh, or not focus, but they have a lot of followers who are already enlightened individuals so you know their followers are already quite well aware of the law of attraction so they just more so you know receive the respect and and um, following in that way but Tamara on the other hand she has um, a a bit more difficult task ahead of her Um, her purpose she's been placed here to actually teach and work with 
those people who were, well, I guess you could say, you know, maybe not necessarily more skeptical, but, you know, the more closed-minded people who want quote-unquote proof that this works and, you know, so individuals in, in that regard. And she has actually been preparing for this path all of her life. Um, if you know, if you know, she's got a background in psychology and in neurosciences, and so all of that has prepared her for the road ahead. And you know, people actually really need to to listen to her and read her her new book, the the Law of Distraction and Art of Intention, because just as an example, I actually just got her her book. She sent me a signed copy. And um, I just received it. The book is well over 200 pages, but I'm almost done it. That's how, that's how interesting this book is. Um, it's easy to understand, full of humor, and she speaks yes. in, in... She has a guy, her higher self is a guy named Morty. I'm just kind of curious if uh, her higher self is a guy named Morty. It seems like that uh, higher self, the way she's describing it, was a soul that was already existing on Earth. I'm curious about how you can actually have a higher self that already took the form of another existence of a human being that previously lived here. Doesn't that um, kind of create some kind of chasm in what we've traditionally come to know as the higher self? No. No. Think about what, uh, you know, when we talked to, uh, who was it? It was Chris Krepsik when he said that, you know, we can have spirit guides that are actually of ourselves, remember? And so we could have spirit guides that are essentially from the past or from the future, well, this is exactly the same thing. So Morty, um, it is a part of her, he is a part of her. It is her, but from a previous life. Okay. And she doesn't realize that. Um, because I noticed through, you know, reading her book, I noticed that the, his, his um, energy and the way that he talks, I can feel and hear like Tamara pretty much talking in, in a similar way but you know she's a much more gentle gentler spirit in, in this lifetime as opposed to the past life so what was she like in the past what was her some of her things in the past she was a hard ass I, I, pardon me was she a hard ass um no no not a not a hard ass but um I'll say ignorant okay. Ign- but ign- ignorant in the sense of ignorant to spirituality and things of that nature, ignorant to the concept of love. Um, Okay, so... She was a closed-minded individual. uh, What did you see of one of her last... What would you say would be her last life before this one? Mainly what I was shown and was told to, to concentrate on was her work in this lifetime and what, what, um, uh, lays ahead for her and like I was you know going back to the book how I was trying to say that people do need to to listen and read this book because realize Tamara does come from a more scientific background so there's something in you know there's a a concept in the book um, that is talked about and it's called being you know being what you want to manifest now that is something that even a lot of you know new age gurus and uh, teachers and that they don't talk about. 
Now, I have to go back to her humbleness for a minute. Um, like I said, she's very humble and very loving. And what really got me, when I first connected with Tamara, I actually already felt her to be successful and a star and, and, and all that. And, but the thing is, she's so humble, she's not giving herself enough credit, and she holds herself back due to, due to fear of failure. You know, she, it's almost like, you know, I'm not good enough to, to relay on the messages. Well, the thing is, if she wasn't good enough, then Morty wouldn't have come to her. So she needs to set aside this fear, because she's got a very important job to do. And like I said, she's just starting out. We, this is going to be a woman that we're going to hear about more and more and more as time goes on. And I think she, like I said, that especially with this new book that she's just released, she's written 13 books and counting. But this book here is going to be the one that really um, sets her aside from a lot of the, the other teachers that are out there in, in, in relation to the law of attraction and metaphysics in general because of her scientific background. Um, and the thing is, you know, another thing is she's been through a lot in her past. She has overcome a lot of hurdles, and some of them weren't so pretty. Now, we could learn a lot from this woman and her success, because she is successful. She doesn't realize it, but she is extremely successful. And what she needs to do is incorporate that, that wisdom and the lessons learned that she has gone through over the years because she needs to teach by example. And teaching by example, is that's what's really, truly going to uh, attract a lot more followers, even, even the more skeptical, like I said earlier, and, the, and those folks that need the quote-unquote proof. She is an extremely powerful woman but she doesn't realize it yet. Okay, so she, so once she realizes it and she comes into full circle, she accepts this power that she has that she'll be pretty much a, a force to be reckoned with? Definitely, definitely. And like I said, uh, consider this as a true privilege to get to know her at this stage. Um, we're going to be like one of the, one of, well, we are the first people to have the true pleasure of connecting to her on the more personal level because in another year, another two years that go by, this woman is going to be virtually unstoppable. Like I said, she's just starting. She's just warming up. Well, Ms. Lisa Kaza, that was a great analysis. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. Kaza, please go to our website at Lisa, L-A-S-A, Kaza, C-A-Z-A. Dot com. Thank you again, Ms. Lisa. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that wraps up tonight's episode of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I want to thank our special guest, Ms. Tamara Doris, and I want to thank our incredible virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Laura Lynn, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Stellas. You can learn more about the program by going to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends. Have an unbelievable rest of the week. Thank you for joining us and have a great night.
The deals are getting hotter during the dear days of summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August 2nd, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeeredealer.com. 